Hello and welcome to episode two of the 1099. It is the week of June 22nd. It is really disgusting outside here in Jacksonville, Florida. It's like, okay, it's 100 degrees. It's about to storm. So it's about to be like 100 degrees and rainy. And in general, Jacksonville is already like you're swimming through the air because it's so humid and gross and muggy. Um, so my life right now, not great. Uh, let's not talk about the weather the entire time. Let's talk about video games. And here today to talk with me about video games. First off, a returning guest. And I'm going to say your name the same way I did last time. Miguel Concepcion. Good uh, enough. Yeah. It's, all I ever look for is good enough. That's like my freelance philosophy and my naming <laughs> philosophy. No. Um, who <laughs> is written all over the place and most recently went to E3 for GameSpot. Miguel, right. thank you very much for joining again. And also with me today, new guest from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Max Parker. Max, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. And the weather here is pretty similar. I just had to take a break from chainsawing a tree oh. that uh, was knocked down while I was at E3. So, so you've had a blast. And so, yeah, you're in Pittsburgh, which is like my old stomping ground. I um, No way. Yeah, I well, not not directly in Pittsburgh, but I mean, I lived uh, close to uh, Lake Erie for 22 years um, <laughs> and went to Clarion University, which is not too far yeah. away. Uh, yeah. Sister went to Edinburgh and my brother and sister currently live in Pittsburgh. So I've been there a lot. Uh, That's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah. Pennsylvania person. I recently moved to Florida and, you know, like the no snow thing, pretty cool. But once again, this weather is so bad and i have my central air off because i don't feel like having that go on and be all loud while we're sure. talking for a podcast which means by the end of this i'm just going to be a mess i'm going to be like breathing heavily and sweaty and gross it's going to be a <laughs> podcast is what i'm saying that's brutal it's not even summer yet yeah don't say that <laughs> i don't even want to think about august it's going to be like 110 every day um speaking of hot things e3 2015 was pretty hot y'all would i i have both you guys on because both of you are at e3 and uh, you both had different situations. Miguel, like I had mentioned, you went uh, exclusively for GameSpot. We had talked about kind of your preparation for that last week. So I'm excited to hear a full report. And Max, you went, of course, for your job for the yep. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So I kind of want to start. Actually, let's start with you, Max. Um, okay. Kind of tell me about, like, what was your, first off, was this your first E3? Have you been to a bunch of E3s? This is my sixth E3. Oh, so like, Yeah, I'm like approaching that group that gathers around the bar at the end it's like oh remember that e3 six years ago oh man <laughs> like old war stories you're a there. crusty old veteran when you talk about how like you used to walk up to the hill to school every day talk uh, about the old console wars <laughs> <laughs> back in the day you remember giant enemy crabs you just have great <laughs> stories uh so yeah what was that what's the process like for you know you have a full-time job are you the only person from the pittsburgh post-gazette covering e3 or do you have a team I no, no team. It's just oh, me. Geez. So uh, it's kind of interesting. It's it's a lot different. I'm actually interested to hear about what Miguel's uh, experience is like. Because with me, my my editors trust my judgment on what people are going to care about in the video game world. Because I mean, no one really at the post that knows much about video games. Mm. So so I kind of guide coverage and I, I mold coverage based on what interest is out there um, and hopefully I'm right sometimes I am sometimes I'm not uh, but so yeah I make I'm in charge of uh, making the appointments booking the appointments um, and then of course putting out the coverage this is the first year I did video stuff too so that was I was lugging around a tripod and mic and stuff like that so that was that was an adventure because I'm not really I never 
started as a video person don't have any formal video training. Uh, so this was kind of a learning experience. But it's pretty much just a nonstop, a nonstop week. You, you're just going for, the, I mean, Monday is press conference day, and then the next few days is all appointments, and then, uh, then it's just writing time, and it's producing content. Yeah, is it like what kind of pressure was that? Like you said, you're determining what you think that people want to hear about. Like, how do you determine that? Because you're one person, like you said, you don't mm -hmm. have a team, and there mm -hmm. are what seems like billions of games, especially at this E3, and there's so much to talk about. Like, what was your determination for taking, you know, an appointment for Horizon over an appointment with Call of Duty? Well, I mean, I, beforehand, I, I have to rely on the popularity of sequels, and thank goodness that the industry is uh, wrought so many sequels, because that kind of <laughs> helps me out. Like, I know people care about this, I know people care about Destiny, I know people care about Skylanders and Disney Infinity and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that really helps. Uh, but about first-party stuff, I, I try to keep it sequel-heavy because that's safe. I, but, I, of course, I need to get the new IPs in there. And if, if you do first-party stuff, people are always interested in first-party. But, I mean, it's not, it's not always right. I mean, some, I, sometimes I want to put coverage out there of, of Cuphead. And, like, people, there's, like, a loud minority of people who love indie games and love Cuphead and things like that. And it's great. I love Cuphead, too. But that, it's just a shame and a, a, a sad reality that indie coverage doesn't really do all that well. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, it's you're because you're one person, you can't get every single little game. And I mean, yeah. PAX is really good for that. E3, of course, we do see the small games. Like Cuphead looks gorgeous. Cuphead mm -hmm. looks amazing. Um, but there's only so many things you can do. Very often, those kind of get overshadowed by the giant games. Um, yeah, but... and it's it's getting there's getting to be more of a spotlight on on indie games. Like this is the second year in a row Xbox has devoted an entire segment of their press conference all on indie games coming to Xbox. So that's. It's kind of cool. Yeah, and that was after that initial Sony blitz uh, with the PS4 with all those indie games on stage. Yep. Not just saying that Microsoft is you know, copying, but it definitely felt initially like they had to swing back because of how sure. much like Sony was going for it. And you know, Microsoft needs to, with the edit Xbox program, prove that like we're a great place for smaller games. And I think they did a fantastic job. Uh, being both Sony and Microsoft had amazing press conferences in my mind. So uh, I also want to ask you kind of like, How's your? You mentioned that you were more of a writer and not as much of a video person. But we talked about on last week's episode or last episode, uh, where there's this shift to video in the industry that you know you can deny it all you want, but if you don't, you know, learn how to podcast, learn how to uh, talk in front of a camera, you kind of get left behind. What's that transition been like for you? It's tough. It's a different transition personally uh, compared to professionally because at the end of the day, uh, the print business is what runs the Post-Gazette. Like, mm -hmm. like video and online content is an afterthought. The stuff that's in the newspaper always gets the most attention, and that's what's the most important thing at the Post-Gazette. Uh, so, I mean, of course, we have, we have a, an extensive um, like online presence and a, a video department, but the things in print are the most important. So I wanted to kind of branch out. I, I had been, I've been writing for print and for the online space for the last six years. And I know the at least the video game industry, things are going towards video. Uh, I mean, Miguel, you've been working toward, in video for how long? Since 2000, it's Jeez. sort of why, it's sort of why I got into the business. Like that's like, that's getting into like the pioneer days of like video for in the video games media. You saw it before anyone else, you knew yeah. it. 
You scooped it up. Right, what right. What I'm saying is you, you started videos in video games. It's not called audio games for a reason. <laughs> right. Oh, God so, damn it. So I knew I had to branch out. Like, I knew I wouldn't just be able to get away just with writing for forever. So I, I kind of wanted to, to teach myself uh, how – I wanted to just make kind of like a proof of concept thing. I wanted to prove that I could learn how to do this and, and produce content for the Post-Gazette web space. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of where, what the direction is, um, I'm, the direction I'm going in 2015. That's what I'm, I'm attempting to do. It's, yeah, it's important. It's really important to make yourself well-rounded where, you know, when opportunities arise, you're able to say, well, look what I've done here and look what I've done here. And I know how to do this instead of not having that experience. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great idea to do that. And contrary to what Max was doing, uh, Miguel, like you're not really determining your schedule with GameSpot, are you? They're kind of saying cover this, cover that, or did you have more flexibility? Oh, it was very much, it was very much a cover this, cover that. Um, how it, even though it never really worked in this kind of setting, how it um, sort of unfolded was very unsurprising. Despite my fondness for video, I was definitely more needed on the news team. And uh, it worked exactly like I suspected a war room worked. You know, they uh, used the, the in-house catering to make sure that we didn't need to uh, step out for our food needs, you know, they had, you know, um, some shelving stacked with like, you know, snacks and all the immunity. Um, what was the, wait, really quick. What was the best snack? Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, I did this really nasty. I, I make this really nasty snack. Oh, nasty's um, not the that, best. <laughs> yeah. The opposite. I don't know. You know, I think maybe it just had to do with, you know, growing up, I never really knew what was supposed to be socially acceptable snacks, but like I I like dipping potato chips in salsa. Okay. Okay, that's fine. That's You're fine. Right. You're all right. Yeah. No, it was what I just felt really weird about it because that was sort of like that was one of the s- s- snacks that you know when you get to day three, all the really good snacks, the popular snacks are gone. And so that was sort of like the one snack I, I kind of just put together. No one had opened the, the jar of salsa that entire time. That's the one snack I remember. I, yeah, mean, I would I think was, by day three, you're just you're grabbing whatever you're combining stuff yeah, you've I mean, never combined before. Like, oh my, I just put the, this pickle in the salsa. I don't know. Right. Like, that sounded the okay. Red, the, red, the red vines were obviously popular. Um, I think to start, uh, I, I'm sure I had my share of the chocolate covered pretzels. So yeah, and like at certain, I think at certain points I was eating too many sort of uh, salty foods that I mean I couldn't find any anything sweet left and. Ended up, I think I ended up eating some of those like um, uh, those airborne immunity uh, <laughs> snacks that were just like orange flavored gummies. Oh I my just, god! Something sweet to cleanse the palate. Yeah, you make the so, war room sound like a palace, man. You've got all these snacks and you have your choice <laughs> of food. This it's amazing. It was it was very much a, a great multi-purpose environment. I mean, not only for the fact that we were sharing the same space as uh, as kind of funny. So imagine like after each press conference. You know the on-camera talent getting ready to react to the press conference, both for GameSpot in one corner of the just giant room, and kind of funny doing the same thing. So I mean, it was just uh, such a it was a very well-oiled machine with different people, you know, knowing what their duties were. Uh, in terms of like, uh, it seemed like the most the one period where you really had to keep your you know have your A game on was during the press conferences when um, the news editor Justin Haywald. You know, he was sort of standing up. We were all sort of crowding around the, the television because obviously it's just too impractical to to write at the press conference itself. We were just huddled around the biggest TV we had in the in the war room, 
And with each sort of newsworthy announcement worth writing up, he, you would either immediately volunteer or Justin would ask for volunteers. And, you know, usually within like two or three seconds, you'd have someone yeah. who just like get on it and, you know, just get the facts down, you know, publish it. And uh, yeah, it was a good, it was a good rush for the, those first couple of days of press conferences. And then like the second half of the week, um, you're already going into the floor knowing what your appointments were. And it's just a matter of juggling your time and hopefully cranking out something worth, worth writing, worth reading before your next appointment. Yeah. And, you know, we were given our marching orders and also given a, a nice list of um, what sort of the priority titles. And we just went from there. It was a, uh, it was pretty hands off. I mean, uh, you, I mean, you were pretty much left to your own devices. But you know, obviously, I mean, the team was great in answering any questions I had. Yeah. yeah. So, how often, like, you know, you're spending hours and hours and hours on the floor and playing these games and doing all this stuff and barely eating other than chips and salsa? How often, right after that, would you have to like go to a hotel room or go to the war room and just start cranking out previews or start cranking out content? Like, were you? Did you get any time to chill during this week? Yeah, you know, you just said to use your best judgment. Um, obviously, they didn't expect you to, you know, work work fourteen hour days. I mean, obviously, you, you tried to do your best and you just, you know, left it to yourself to uh, determine like whether or not you you do uh, you do deserve maybe you know a couple hours in, in the parties or whatnot. But um, it was as, as, as I said before, you know, this was the first time in like twelve years I worked for one. Uh, I worked exclusively for one outlet, so it was very nice to have that that sense of focus. And I mean, I think there was one night where I was just kind of crashing and um, it, I wasn't, I, wa I was not not motivated. It was more like I just needed to be on a bed to just finish the last two, 300 words of the last article I had, I was working on. Um, you know, I mean, I think the expectation was to be there from eight to eight on the showroom floor days, you know, crank out an article before your first appointment. Uh, yeah, I think I had a, I set a goal for myself to do like three or four articles a day. Um, I did. I don't think I I hit it as well as I wanted to, but you know that means. I mean, I, I I've been doing a little bit of catching up this weekend. Yeah. So, do you have any articles you still have to crank out? Also, say hi to your dog for me. I'm glad your dog could make a guest appearance. <laughs> He's super sensitive to the sounds of all the dogs outside. <laughs> now he, he just hates E3. He's so sick of you talking about it. He wants to play. But do you have like a kind of a things you still need to crank out? Well, one of my last appointments was like two thirty for Life is Feudal. This uh, sort of is very very medieval Minecraft that also that has like PvP elements to it. Oh, it sounds like a really depressing <laughs> Life is Strange spinoff. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot more granular in a very Minecraft kind of way. I um, that was an interesting appointment because uh, most of the time when you have these appointments. Um, a video guy would be paired up with you in the hopes that there might be like direct feed opportunities or they would actually just be caught up on what the direct feed options were. And uh, uh, Mary Kish joined me. And on the way back to the war room, we did a detour to like the indie section. And so Mary insisted that we take a photo at the, they had this like this green, I think Max, you might've seen this, they had like this green screen photo booth over at the Bethesda booth with, themed on Fallout, yeah. and mm -hmm. I was given the nice reminder that curly hair does not work on green screen. <laughs> I just had this like nice green blob 
like around my head and you just saw some really you could barely make out like the fallout theme image that we selected um i don't know if i so i was watching some of uh gamespot's <laughs> coverage throughout e3 but you had mentioned did you get a chance to be like delivering one of the they had like live streams all day where they're demoing games were you on one of those live streams like uh it turned out they didn't need me okay. um what happened, I, I think, with some of the notable, notable games, I mean, some. the nice thing is uh, Randolph managed to get multiple appointments for a single game with multiple writers, so, like, sort of full-timers were more than uh, enthusiastic. I mean, I think, like, my first appointment was Battlefront, but um, some of the other, at least one other writer managed to check it out himself. I think it was Rob Crossley, and he um, he was more than happy to take it on camera, which was fine. Yeah. Um, it does. This also does bring up a side note about my general phobia of just being photographed, and <laughs> this was this was sort of a game changer year. Um, I tweeted this. It took me forever to get the courage to tweet this photo of me and Ashley Johnson from The Last of Us. But oh yeah, that was another thing. Um, we were told that if you found anything like worth, you know, that was photo worthy, you know, go ahead and take the picture and let the news team know so they could put it in the gallery. And so I see her going down one hallway. I could tell she's making a beeline for the restroom, but I stop her anyway and ask her, "Hey, Ashley, I love your work. We would love to have you have a photo of you for the, you know, for the gallery." Um, so I'm about to like take this photo of her, and she's realizing that she's only gonna, she's the only person that's gonna be in this photo. And she tells me, "Hey, I feel really weird just being the only person in this photo. Can you be in it?" And so we ended up taking a selfie, and I hate selfies, and <laughs> we can't use this photo in the gallery, and so... Uh, Did you actually use it in the gallery? No. Oh. No, I just tweeted it. But I mean, but that's a real thing with like, you know, once again, we're moving toward video and everyone being on camera, and if you're not, I mean, camera shy might be the right thing, but if you're not the kind of person who wants to be on video, it can be weird, but I mean, you have yeah. been now officially, especially over this E3, a lot of you was shown on like video, so like... Yeah. You know, it's like whether it's like autographs, photos with, uh, I think actually the most intimate thing you can get out of someone you admire is just a simple handshake. And I it, it, it kind of emotionally snowballed from there. I ended up later in the day, ended up getting a selfie with, no, actually Alexa took this photo of me with Bruce uh, Staley from uh, Naughty Dog. So that was nice. And then she, once, you start this, once you start the selfie game, you just well, keep going. <laughs> I'm really cranky right now because all I had was an apple, and just one <laughs> good thing about this about this incident, these incidents, is that um, I'm really taking my diet all the more seriously now. Well, I mean, after war room potato chips and salsa, I think you're like it's a it's a good point to you know detox and eat oh, apples yeah. and drink water, a, and it was an entire week of just like getting all my cheat meals out of the way. Um, <laughs> It's, this is this is not going to last, but actually, I so wanted the Warriors to win so bad that I said, if the Warriors win, I'm going to quit cheat, cheat meals. Oh, man. <laughs> now said it, and they've won, so I'm holding yeah. you to this. Yeah, the last the last sort of quote-unquote good meal, I went to one of those newfangled build-your-own-pizza kind mm. of places that was inspired by Chipotle. It was called Chipotle. Pizza Studio. It tasted great. Wait, stop. Was Wait, that a serious pronunciation, or was that a joke pronunciation? This. We must correct this immediately. I no, I'm know. joking. I'm joking. Okay. How do you say the restaurant? Chipotle. Oh, thank God. Okay, jeez. Um, <laughs> oh. I thought we were going to have to terminate this podcast immediately. I'm going to have to the call. Wait. Oh, my God. Um, I should have just known that you were being sarcastic, but jeez. Oh, man. All right. Uh, 
It was definitely one of those. I'm just going to, in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to say it and hope they don't note it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we oh, God, I have no good transition. So, Max, let's uh, let's talk about video games real quick. Okay. Because um, I know we haven't been talking about video games the whole time. Uh, kind of just not talking as much just about pure freelancing. Let's actually talk about what was your, let me hear your game of the show, or at least your games of the show. Because what, this show in general, God, I wish I was there. Because it was just firing on all cylinders. I don't know, like there were some expectations coming into this because it seemed like at this time it was a little bit of a light release schedule, or at least before the show, for the fall especially. Um, but then you come in to Microsoft and they're just, they killed their press conference. And then Sony pulled like 18 rabbits out of a hat and then dropped like a dozen mics during their press <laughs> conference. So like, what did you see and what did you get a actual hands-on demo with that really just blew you away? Well, uh, my angle for this, like I wrote a, a wrap up for this this year's E3, and my my angle was that it kind of lacked an identity. Like my my um, guess is that in five years, no no one's going to remember this E3. Like, oh, what, what was what was the big thing of this E3? Like there was no system. I mean, last year there was no system either. Um, I don't really know what last year's like big point would have been, uh, but this year, I, I guess VR. But VR is not really there yet. It's not quite there. It's still a concept until next year when it finally uh, finally comes out. But as far as just games go, I, I've grown, I don't know, maybe I'm old and jaded now, but I've grown to hate canned demonstrations. Like mm-hmm. Fallout looks incredible. But like what, they're not going to, this is a... This is a trailer and gameplay in a very controlled environment. We're not seeing anyone play this game on stage. Like wh- they're not going to show us anything horrible. And that game's looks... out in the fall, so like yes. it's not it's not it so not far playable. off that they can't really show a lot of playable stuff. Like they should have. Of course, those games they're huge and they take a long time to tighten up and make sure that they're not having a whole bunch of random bugs. But I mean, I do agree that you want to be able to see someone holding a controller or using a PC and playing that game. Right. Yes, I want play. I want either to get hands on or I want to watch someone play it. Same with Doom. Like neither of those games were playable on the show floor. Like Bethesda had a booth, but they weren't doing booth tours. It was just kind of like, hey, walk through and kind of look at this stuff that was showcased in our press conference. But you're not going to get hands on time with any of it, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, so there was a lot of that. I, I, so I didn't want to give Fallout 4 my game of show because, like, yeah, it looks good, but I haven't seen any anything like other than what everybody else saw. Uh, what I what really did impress me, and which didn't impress me at all when it was first shown at the Ubisoft press conference, was Ghost Recon Wildlands. Mm-hmm. That looks like the game to play with friends, or is going to be when it comes out. I saw a team of four people playing it, okay. and they walked us through the demo. So it was real time, but I didn't get to play it. That looks really neat. It's the biggest world that Ubisoft has ever created. I hear open world and I hear online co-op and I'm like, ugh. I just like tune out at this point because every yeah. game has that that bullet point. And a whole bunch but, of towers that you climb the towers then you reveal <laughs> parts of the map and then you go to the certain part of the map and you reveal another tower. Yeah. Exactly. Like that mold. Right. But this kind of looks like, this looks kind of GTA-esque but with a team of four that can drop in and drop out whenever you want. So like the demo they showed, they're like invading an enemy base and they have to coordinate. And they so like two enter from one side and two enter from other, the other side and kind of methodically take down this base. Uh, and the four players could be anywhere in the open world at any time. So like you don't have to be tethered to one another. It's pretty, it's it's 
kind of strange that we haven't seen this kind of gameplay in an open world environment yet, uh, but it looks it looks really cool. That was really impressive. Battlefront, uh, everybody seemed to give game of show to Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, that I played, and yeah, uh, it plays really well. The only thing that, I mean, you only get one match with it, so my only concern is that I worry about the content that it's going to have. I don't want this to be the next Titanfall. I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I don't want this to be the next Titanfall where like people get really jazzed about it, play it for a month, and then they stop. And that seems to be the concern that some other people have. Like it's, it's while wow, this has been the buzz has been building for this game that it's not going to have the content that the old Battlefront games had. I, I do, so, I do wonder too. Uh, and you said you played at least one match with it. Um, yep. Does it feel like? Battlefield with a Star Wars wrapping, or is there enough kind of distinctive control difference that it feels like, oh, this is a Star Wars game, this is Battlefront, or does it more just feel like, we made a lot of Battlefield games, we decided <laughs> what if Tauntaun, or like something like that, like was there did it feel different? Control wise, uh, control wise it feels like I, I guess, yeah, it feels it like Battlefield. It looks like Battlefield I mean, a lot. Yeah, well, there's enough Star Wars scenery there to where like oh I'm in a Star Wars world mm. like it it feels like a because I played the Battle of Hall it was chaos it was just like I feel like I'm in Empire Strikes Back and I'm what it would feel like to be a foot soldier in the rebellion uh, uh, in this planet like that it it was it was like that and the weapons like because it's blaster fire and your blasters don't reload so they just overheat. And then you have to make sure you don't overheat it. So that's a huge like gameplay difference from Battlefield, where you're shooting, reloading, shooting, reloading. Yeah. So scenery-wise, and I guess that kind of shooting mechanic uh, makes it feel it, it. It clearly feels like a Star Wars game. It doesn't feel like a Battlefield game wrapped in Star Wars. It feels like a Star Wars game. And Miguel, you said you had an appointment for uh, Battlefront. Did you actually? Did you get like a hands-on demo with it? Yes. Um... It was great, uh, and this is also coming from someone who actually did. I did. I worked uh, multiplayer QA in Battlefront Two, and um, that all those. I mean, I have a, a shit ton of stories that we could save for like another podcast when you have like, a slow week. <laughs> Deal. But um, you know, even just a simple touch like adding freaking trenches, which the last one didn't have. You know, that added a lot, and you know, it definitely. I the one takeaway I had from this latest demo was I. It turns out you cannot have too much, you know, Ben Burt sound effects. <laughs> uh, it was just pretty nuts, and you know, it's it knows, uh, you know, they know they're they're making a game. It doesn't have to be, you know, cannot. Um, it doesn't have to be canon in terms of accuracy, and everyone has all these like forward thrusting jump packs, which is kind of neat. The one thing that I and and also the, I played this hot stage, this PvP hot stage. And um, I liked how naturally asymmetrical it was because mm. the ad-ads on one side and the no ad-ads on the other side. And uh, um, the one thing I couldn't wrap my head around was the vehicle and Jedi unlocking. I mean, I was told it's tied to the random power-ups you pick up on the field, but I'm not sure if it's like purely random, if like the likelihood of you getting either vehicles or Jedi through, through a power-up is... It's increased, but depending on how you perform, or I don't know. But um, you know, I was very impressed. Overall. I think the vehicle, the vehicles are they're icons that are like these spinning. On, I was on the rebellion, so they're these spinning rebel symbols, and they right. they respawn. So they have a timer on them, and then if you pick them up, 
uh, then you can fly around in a speeder or an X-wing or something like that. But there were the, just the rebel icons, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because those yeah. were like the same icons I I I ran toward, and all I got was like rocket launcher or shield dome. Well, I I look forward to seeing how the different stages uh, mix up the gameplay because I mean they're. It was very specific. This game type was very specific to the hot stage. Like we had, as the rebellion, we had to to activate and guard these satellite uplinks, so a Y wing could come in and bomb the AT-ATs. So that's, I mean, this is clearly going to be a specific specific to the hot stage. So I wonder, I wonder again, I wonder how much like what content we can expect to see with the other stages. Yeah, I'm really interested to kind of see how that game turns out. I, I mean, I played the hell out of the first Battlefront, the second Battlefront, um, and you know, I'm still a big Star Wars fan. I enjoy the Battlefield games, um, but yeah, there is that, still that concern for me that I, it'll feel too samey in that way. But from what you guys say, sounds like there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, yeah, it, it well, looks... what what looking watching the show from uh, for like online streams and stuff, mm. what caught your eye? Oh geez, um, yeah. So like I said last uh, show, I you know I couldn't make it to this year's E3, but I had a lot of fun just watching from home. Horizon was something in general that I thought was unbelievably impressive because Guerrilla Games has been just kill zoning and kill zoning and kill zoning. <laughs> and I really, I mean, I really liked the second game. Uh, I thought the third game was really great, and the most recent one just didn't really have much of an identity to me. Um, and this new game looks colorful and interesting and fresh and i'm happy they're not just making another shooter so that was really interesting for me um i love shadow of the colossus so the fact that uh miguel predicted it uh it showed up uh last guardian yeah last guardian showed up um and i thought it looked great i almost kind of want to go radio silent on that uh so that by the time it comes out like i know nothing i'm surprised because i think those games are best with that element of surprise um yep. but yeah, I, the VR stuff was fun. The HoloLens demo, it's hard to not be extremely impressed by what they did on stage with that Minecraft. That was mind-blowing stuff. Uh, yeah, and that was, <laughs> in in general, it's, and people have been talking about this for a while, it's difficult to demo VR. Like, how do you show that experience? It's something that you have to wear, you have to put on, you have to have a kiosk at a Best Buy. Um, but they were able to uh, showcase AR much better than they've showcased VR in the past by having that stage demo. Um, so that was like this kind of cool use case and this proof of concept that, I mean, I had no interest in HoloLens and then after that, I was like, that was something I could see myself using. That's a really cool, holy shit, this is the future kind yeah. of thing. Um, and kind of going back to something you had said before, Max, I agree with you to a certain extent that this, this E3 didn't have the identity that maybe 2013 had. And that's the one I went to that one. That was the you know, PS4 price announcement and all the crazy used game stuff. And there's all these consoles coming out. But I do yeah. think we will remember this one five years down the line, um, and mainly because, and not to keep raining praise on Sony, but that press conference was so, so many people were just like awestruck at the announcement after announcement. It was this kind of weird, every game that, I mean, maybe you're not a huge Shenmue fan or you're not a huge Final Fantasy fan, but they basically brought a checklist of here's all the stuff you've been bitching about for like 10 years. It's all yeah. here. And any one of those on their own, if they would have opened with Last Guardian and not shown Final Fantasy VII or Shenmue, it still would have been a successful event. But they just kept layering that on top. So I don't think I'll remember this show as, you know, the most amazing games lineup of all time. But the wow factor and this moment where Sony just said, like, we're going to blow everything out of the water and just, like, announce everything. I'm going to remember that for a while. 
Yeah, it, it's a bummer when you but when you actually think about how far these games are are off. Like Shenmue is not even in development yet. Yes. Uh, so and then we've got Final Fantasy VII, which Square won't even talk about. Like you ask them any details, and they're like, uh, "No." I think no that's comment. 2018 at the earliest. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's so um, far. And it's similar with Shenmue, and it's a good point. And maybe that's why what Sony did was kind of smart because. Yes, you could have kind of spread these announcements out over maybe you wait for Final Fantasy announce that next year. But it was the idea that like, okay, all these games are not coming out soon other than The Last Guardian. Um, but let's structure this press conference as like a gamer's wish list that we're checking things off. Um, mm-hmm. So that when it was all pulled together, you had so many people. Um, I know I heard Danny O'Dwyer on the GameSpot feed saying like, that was quite possibly the greatest press conference at an E3 of all time. So you kind of have that standard setting thing. But you're totally right. We're like, when you take a step back and you look at it, you're like, wait a minute. Final Fantasy could be 2020. Like, we don't know. They probably haven't even right. started that thing. That, that, that like trailer they showed, that's probably the only work they've done. So, Definitely. yeah, it, it, was, it was a really funny three, though, just staying at home. Of course, the entire time I wanted to be there. Um, but I was able to, uh, I mean, from someone back home, one of my favorite things to watch, of course, is the, the giant bomb content that goes up. Uh, because they do a fantastic job of having those after-hour shows where they're bringing on different developers and journalists and kind of getting their take in a more comfortable environment. Um, I love what GameSpot does, of course, too, because they're always just chucking out those really great stage demos. So it's the experience now back at home is fantastic. This, the, yeah, this was the first E3 that I actually, um, I, I'm that has made me go. I'm going to think twice moving forward about actually attending these press conferences because Microsoft promised a a, quote robust Wi-Fi setup and that was non-existent so I mean I had no internet so couldn't do anything from the show Mm -hmm. Um, Sony barely worked I got some stuff on Sony Bethesda had none so it's like I'm going to these I'm seeing what people are seeing on the stream and I can't produce any content while I'm there like why am I doing this (laughs) in a lot of cases yeah you're almost better just be in like the war room or some sort of hotel room kind of like you're going to be able to write more quickly and you're not going to be as distracted like I think it's a smart way of doing it Uh, like you said Miguel like you're staring at a giant TV that might be the smarter way to do things than actually being there in person even though it is a, a a thrill to be in that room when people are crying over final fantasy 7 or like probably having like an aneurysm over kingdom hearts 3 gameplay like yeah, yeah. it's or yeah, Beth- that- or yeah i guess the constellation is you get you get those uh bethesda That's vinyl right. figures and you can ebay That's- them for 300 bucks yeah i know man <laughs> if i had no ethics yeah i would, uh, I would be definitely selling this but, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing you get is the crowd. You get to see the crowd. But if they put a camera angle that see, shows the crowd on the streams, yeah. then there's really no point. Yeah, really. Like, that, they should have a, just a crowd cam at all time. So, yeah, just give yeah. it a name. Crowd cam, alliteration, easy. Right. Yeah. Yep. Shenmue got a standing O. Um, Final Fantasy got a standing O. And then that was, that was basically it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of cheers, though. Um, so Miguel, I don't know if you said yet, what was your game of the show or what, I guess what one game or two games really, uh, you, you know, I think this is me playing devil's advocate on, uh, on Max's statement about mm, this being a non, uh, an E3 you may not remember five years from now, but at the same time, it just depends where you're coming from. I remembered, uh, going to, um, a developer party for Microsoft and there was this one lawyer who, 
um, didn't get why I enjoyed the PlayStation conference so much, but um, <laughs> well, maybe because he's he is uh, he represents a lot of indie developers for Microsoft. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I think I brought this up both with uh, a journalist from CNET and also some of the PlayStation blog guys. But I was saying that um, for for all the many years that folks at NeoGAF just you know are have just been hungry and been expecting and um, some kind of what they call a megaton announcement. You know, every last couple of years, whenever they call something megaton, now that you know that standard has been sort of that that uh, has been sort of recalibrated based yes. on the Sony press conference. And I was, I kept, I mean, you know, because of how long E three has been around, a lot of people don't remember what I call, you know, what people call the mic drop heard around the world, which was the 299 announcement from the original PlayStation 1. I mean, there's a video of it, yeah. of this you know, executive just going up on stage. You thought he was going to, you know, do a 15-minute speech, and all he does is say 299, and he leaves just as a, <laughs> you know, just a one-statement, you know, retail, I mean, response to all the Sega Saturn news. And I think that this latest Sony press conference is like a press conference long version of that one speech in terms of just Absolutely. impact. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that was the one thing I was kind of left with. And we mentioned this, I mentioned this um, last, the other week in, in the other podcast about uh, my experience with Metal Gear Solid 4. This was a game that really just like kept bombarding me with, things that I wasn't even expecting, but happened anyway. And I was sort of like kind of drawing mental analogies toward the, the Sony PlayStation conference when um, they really didn't. Uh, you, you think there was someone in, you know, who was helping out with preparing for the press conference who was like thinking, hey, why can't we just like hold off on some of these things for like next year? And for all we know, they probably, there probably are some titles that they have hold off. They could have easily, you know, done like a really really thin vertical slice of they could probably have talked about the next god of war really really briefly without even actual you know gameplay or whatnot but i was surprised how little time they gave morpheus which actually makes me think that it's it's and it's a possible possibility that it could be delayed like no price no software there was one game they talked about so briefly that they're working on for it and you might be right, but also, and this was in the Giant Bomb coverage, uh, Adam Boys was on there, and there, he was kind of talking about why there was so little Morpheus, and his explanation was, you know, unlike the uh, uh, HoloLens with AR, it's really difficult to be able to spend a significant amount of time on a press conference stage with a headset like that, because they couldn't really find, and he had said, like, no one's really cracked the, uh, the code for how to kind of intelligently demo something like that. So while you would think that they'd want to spend more time with at least explaining, like, you know, maybe a price point, maybe a date. Um, I do think a lot of it was them just understanding, like, there's no way for us to show this the way we want to show this. Yeah, uh, that's that's true. Yeah, but, but if, I, mean, I mean, they went, but by quarter one, I mean, if you're releasing something by quarter one of next year, like, this is the time. This is the key time yeah, maybe to give us information. Maybe it's not going to be. Maybe in the coming months, I know there's other, pref, you know, European press conferences and stuff like that going on in the future. Maybe they, or maybe they hold their own random event. Like here's our Morpheus event. Boom, we're going to invite everyone out in LA or San Francisco or New York, and we're all going to get together and we're going to demo the best way we can Morpheus. I don't know, um, but you're right mm -hmm. that it, it did feel it was notably absent in an E3. That if anything. 
was very consumed with the idea of VR and AR. Um, yeah, but I mean, in general, like Miguel had said, like it's it sets the bar high for the mic drop for the all these announcements and for I mean, at times it seemed like Adam Boys was just reading off a NeoGaf thread and just saying like, "You want that too? Boom! Here, it's right here. You get to have it." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, is there any other game between the two of you that you really want to hit on? Um, if anyone saw Uncharted 4, let me know. I'm a big fan, and that demo oh, was really impressive. Okay, what, what was the I'll second half of the demo like? Oh, it's more chasing. Okay. Um, I wrote about this in GameSpot. I'm not sure if the article's up, but it, you know, there's oh, every single Uncharted has hints of you know Indiana Jones, but this one had like more of a like a direct echo because there was a scene where he is being dragged by a truck mm. and. He, he sort of one-ups Indiana Jones by not only being, you know, trying to, like, you know, survive while being dragged on a truck, but he's also shooting, you know, enemies on motorcycles while he is being dragged. And there was also a brief second where he looks like he's actually surfing, like, on his two feet on mud while he's being dragged. So it was a great chase. Um, you know, I'm if there's any one thing that makes me question Uncharted Forest is, you know, whether or not this long lost brother is going to feel shoehorned into the story. Mm. But, you know, when he, it's sort of like it's a layered chase on chase. I mean, I mean, Nathan's being chased while at the same time he is chasing the guys who are chasing his brother, who has like some intel on, you know, uh, the obligatory um, treasure location. And once he actually catches up to him, you know, you see this banter between like Drake on the Jeep and Sam on the bike and they're like arguing with each other. No, you hop on my you hop on my vehicle. No, you hop on mine. And then um so that was very typical, you know, playful uncharted banter. And um uh I don't know if Max doesn't mind Max did you see the the rest of that demo? No? I did not, unfortunately. There's a little there's a there's a bit of a twist at the end because it it ended like a little too happily, so I mean, hope you don't mind a spoiler. I mean, it ended a little too happily where they were like driving. I mean, biking off into the dusk after, you know, fending off a couple more enemies. And oh, one thing I for, I I was bummed I forgot to put in my article is that the relentless chase of this APC that you see in the beginning in the press conference demo, it reminded me a lot of um, I guess uh, Spielberg's uh, Duel movie with that mm -hmm. truck chase. But anyway, after that that was over. They get back to their hotel. They update Sully on what's what, all the information on the on the treasure location. They go into uh, Drake's hotel room, and boom, Elena's there, and she mm -hmm. says, like, because they're in the they're in like the Caribbean, concerning like the sort of like the the touristy French that Drake uses in the beginning of the demo, and she says, uh, "You're something to the effect of you're a long way from Malaysia." And because apparently, I guess she was probably he, Drake was probably like on the job for her. Yeah. And she looks really disappointed in oh, him. I'm just so excited fun. for that game. <laughs> and like, yep. I I'm also happy with the idea that it's you know it's called a thief's thief's end. Um, you know we don't fully know if it's gonna be the last Uncharted ever, but uh, I'm expecting big things in this one and kind of like an all out like go 100% in and make this the best Uncharted, make this the most crazy cinematic version of what Uncharted has been. Um, and in general, I really want to see the multiplayer, which I know is not a lot of people's first choice for an Uncharted game, but uh, I had a blast with Uncharted 2's multiplayer. It's actually my favorite multiplayer of all time. Um, oh. I know, which is weird. Uh, and I really liked Uncharted 3's. It's just, it's, I don't know, for me, it just clicked in a lot of ways. That like I like Call of Duty and I like sports game multiplayers, but 
I was just good at it and enjoyed it uh, and the verticality of it all. So I'm excited to see that. Um, is there anything else for you, Max, that you saw that you really feel like showed up and did something cool? Uh, yeah. Uh, the Well, big surprise was Unravel. I mean, that's oh, yeah. really stole the show. When you can steal, steal the show from Pele coming out on stage and uh, <laughs> the EA Sports stuff. The huge juggernaut that is EA Sports, like that's something special. And I did play that, and I'm a huge Limbo fan, mm. and it reminded me of like a uh, I mean, puzzle platforming like Limbo, but obviously not as as bleak. Like a does... similar kind of movement, because like Limbo is very deliberate. It's not fast Twitch platforming. It's yeah, uh, this yeah, is not Twitch kind. This this is not Twitch platforming. Right, no, good. this is uh, you, you you're gonna. Use your brain to think about how to solve these puzzles, and you use the yarn because uh, it's kind of it's kind of a, a different mechanic than I've ever seen before. So as you move forward, he unravels, and then if you move backwards, you gather that yarn, and you can't go too far or you'll, you'll completely unravel him. He'll just stop, hmm. so you can't go farther. So you got to find like yarn to move forward, so you can't go just like too far forward linearly. It's pretty. It's a uh, pretty neat uh, that was cool that was a surprise um, and also the person who demoed that was the most genuinely like oh, yes like yes. he was shaking and he was extremely nervous which of course you would be if you're in any developer showing your adorable game on a giant convention floor but what yeah. that was really good to kind of mix up the you know there's a lot of bravado and press conference deliveries and these kind of uh corporate suits that oh, you know every once in a while you get like the very this is the business guns guy talking about the game uh but then you have yeah. that guy who's just so unbelievably excited and terrified to show his game for the first time to all these people and the reception to it was it was it was a heartwarming moment <laughs> in a yeah, sea that, of corporate stuff and this ea is the worst offender of that Absolutely. their press conferences are always like like with hoop hoop god bringing out oh, hoop god for me alive that was the like, worst thing ever Oh, it's it's just so canned. Everything just feels so canned. And yeah. then to have something that genuine was was great. And then for that to steal the show was also was also really cool to see. So that was cool. Um, another surprise, and I hate to even say it, but Assassin's Creed. Oh God, every year <laughs> I see more Assassin's Creed, and I didn't like the last Assassin's Creed. And I'm just I, I get I'm completely burned out in the series. Yeah. And then I played it, and like they made it more like Batman. And Batman uh, Arkham is my favorite series of last gen. And then I can't wait for Tuesday. Like that's my Uncharted. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited wait. to play so, it too. Yeah, yeah. So, but this this looks really cool. This uh, Syndicate. I mean, they with the rope with the rope launcher is basically a Batman grappling hook. You go from the ground to rooftop in a second. Go across the from rooftop to rooftop. So that was really fun. And the carriage system, like that's awesome. Like I was so I jumped in a carriage. And I was chasing this guy down, this gang leader. And, of course, he's a gang leader, so he has other carriages that are, like, chasing me down. So I can set the carriage on a path. Like, it goes on its own. So then I set the horses on their own. I can get up out of my seat. I climb to the top of the carriage. I jump over to another carriage and assassinate the drivers of that and then jump back to my carriage. I'm like, ah, I'm sold. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be sold on Assassin's Creed, I mean, I've been burned out on that series for a while. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the series, but, I mean, if it's... Glad to hear at least you found it to be somewhat reinvigorating after yeah. having such a bad one last year. Yep. And then it's like, a, this, I'm like, damn it, they got me again. They got me. <laughs> I'm back. Um, well, I kind of want to put a little bit of a cherry on top of the E3 discussion because we could, of course, talk about this all day. But what I want to do and something we did last week is uh, I kind of want to give tips for people who are 
in general, we want to give tips to freelancers. And moving forward, let me just make sure I say this out loud. Uh, we're going to be taking more emails from people. Uh, the email address is the1099podcast at gmail.com. So make sure if you have any freelancing questions, any dumb questions about, I don't know, burritos or anything in general, send those to that email address. But uh, every week, we also just kind of want to give tips to people. Um, I'll say it over and over again. There's no one blueprint for how to get in this industry or how to find success, how to land a full-time job like Max or how to be freelancing all over the goddamn place like Miguel. But actually, I want to start with you, Miguel. Um, kind of what is what tips do you have for a freelancer who is trying to get work at events? Because I know, I feel like that was more common a few years back where you'd see a lot of people freelancing for certain outlets or multiple outlets uh, at E3 or at uh, PAX, but I haven't seen it as much lately but kind of like what's your advice for someone who wants to get into that and wants to have GameSpot fly them out or have video gamer vg 24 7 whatever kind of get them a pass it goes back to sort of what i said last last time of don't be a dick but i think i could i could probably like layer on top of that by saying um not only don't be a dick but be the least dickish person among the other people that interact with the person who could possibly give you work mm. you know um you see all these folks that are so excited about you know um working with editors and they're very super super social with them like say on twitter these freelancers and you know they feel like you know they're just really excited and they feel like you know they can be like really best buds with them on twitter but you know you find out it almost seems like some of these guys are are sort of like converse trying to have conversations with these editors more so than your average person on twitter and then yep. suddenly kind of ends up looking a little tacky and you're totally right i've seen that so many times i will say mm-hmm. um if it's not too much information i mean um at least i uh, your reputation is is number one of all above above all else to the point that if it's not too much information, uh, GameSpot actually approached me about this gig. It's mm. no, it's not. Yeah, I want to get as much information as possible out on this podcast was, uh, about the intricacies of all this kind of stuff. So. I, I was very incredibly flattered with the opportunity. I jumped on it immediately, though. Um, I already had enough work coming from E3 judges or sort of like my personal policy is if I ever do judges in a given year, that's the year that I also, I I tend to skip that E3 because Mm -hmm. I just have more than enough work. But, um, you know, if you manage to, you know, obviously a lot, I think the most common route a lot of people go is go through with their, their blog. Um, I mean, it seems like, uh, E3's PR really wasn't that stingy about mm. passes, but they are you know, not. I can confirm that. It can be a you know, it's a, your blog can be your stepping stone, and then you know, it seems like the most obvious thing depending on who you talk to. But you know, um, and Max could attest to this. Like, hang out at the Fig on a tangent. Like Becky Taylor from 3D Realms has been tweeting in the past hour about how GamerGate is really uh, is upset that. All these uh, journalists and developers are colluding on in terms of, uh, uh, I mean, going uh, going Dutch on some kind of yacht party or whatnot. <laughs> what? And I'm like, it's for as, as as much as GamerGate's been around, they, they never figured it out to actually like try to get some one of their quote unquote members to actually visit the pool at the Fig, because that's kind of where everyone is. <laughs> that's and, where the collusion's happening. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to call it that. But um, no, but you you make a lot of good points in terms of um, 
of course, don't be an asshole. But like we mentioned on the last episode, it's a it's a tight knit industry. It's a small industry, and your reputation travels. And what was great that you did was, like you said, you're involved in Judges Week, and it's really easy to say, well, I don't need to go to E3 because I have this work. But when an opportunity comes, like sometimes it's going to be a stretch to be able to let's say you're writing a review or you're working on a feature and someone else you've been trying to write for for a long time comes and says, hey, we'd like you to do this. As long as you know it is possible for you to do it and you're not going to kill yourself over it, it's really important to jump on those opportunities um, because editors will understand to a certain point if you say no and you turn something down. But you don't want to have the reputation of saying no to things a lot, of only waiting for the right assignments that you think. Like, well, I don't really want to review this game because it's not that fun. I'd rather do this. One of the things I always did early on was that you, you, you take the assignments, you, you sometimes even reach for harder assignments to show that you can and to show that like you have this willingness to write when that comes up. And that's exactly what you did with this E3 situation. Um, just, and yeah, it's, don't be an asshole. Your reputation also, travels. To also on the other end of the spectrum of what you just said, mm. it also, I also don't believe in treating outlets like Pokemon that I need to feel compelled to write for every yes. single outlet. I was that way initially. I like I actually was. I I mean I've written for a lot of outlets and I wasn't just doing it for the Pokemon aspect. Um but there is this sense when you're starting out when you start getting a like a role going you're like oh man I'll pitch here, I'll pitch here, I'll pitch here and you start having fun in that way but a lot of that early feeling out process it's good to kind of tighten your group and have like well I write for GameSpot and IGN or I write for you know VG247 video gamer whatever like kind of narrowing it down so you don't have and All yeah, and I end up. I I, per, I mean, I just I just laugh to myself when I see someone, someone's Twitter bio who lists the outlets that they write for as if they're a regular contributor. When it turns out they've only written one or two. Hey, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I might kind of have that. I need to tighten that up. But yeah, no, <laughs> you're totally right. If of course you know, if you want to reach out and test new waters and see what's out there, go for it. But like you yeah. said, you don't need to go to and write for everything ever. And kind of uh, going off that subject um and moving on to my tip a little bit and this is pretty obvious but there are a lot of people out there uh who are trying to do the exact same work that you're doing they're trying to get the exact same reviews they're trying to get the exact same features at the exact same outlets and there's so many people it's once again small industry there's not a lot of not a lot of spots to fill uh, and there's a lot of people trying to fill them uh and this kind of goes off what you talked about earlier uh max when you were talking about how you were doing video and kind of expanding uh, your skill set there not only should you just expand your skill set and make sure you can do a little bit of everything, you make sure you have a voice and make sure you're not just someone that could be mistaken for some other writer somewhere else. Um, and that's a hard thing to really correctly explain. But um, of course, you don't want to make up a fake voice or reach too far and try to create this crazy, I'm a character. But you look at certain reviewers and you can, before even reading their byline, you know exactly who it is. Um, and they have a certain style and they have a certain way they're doing content. And you look at uh, Jake Baldino, who uh, kind of built this uh, certain audience through his specific voice. And it's either video or writing. You need to make sure that you are different in some way than everyone that makes you attractive, that makes you a unique person in this industry. And I think in general, if you at least do that and you d discover who you are as a writer or as a video personality, people will listen and you'll find an audience compared to just being someone who, well, I'm going to write like everyone else and hopefully I get noticed because very rarely do you actually get noticed like that. Yeah. Uh, going off of first of what Miguel said, don't be a dick. Um, I'm going to take that one further and 
don't if you make it to E3 and if you make it to like the 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 poolside bar at the fig after E3, like don't be the person who is like when you're in a conversation, don't be the person who is constantly looking around, like not engaged in the conversation at all and looking around to see who else is at the at, at absolutely that venue. it is painfully obvious like when i'm talking to someone like who clearly has no interest in talking to me uh just wants to see who else is there and it, it, it's it, it's from freelancers to people who are established and that sucks don't do no, that i wonder if i did that to you max <laughs> no, no 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 not at all no it wasn't you um but there were several other people who who were like that and I was like man that's that's lame. and also you know you gotta be it's it's such a it's it's a very subtle it's a game of subtlety where all you really need to do to like imply your interest in working for someone is just to like leave it to like one or two sentences you know when people are at the fig their day at the show floor is over in a way sometimes the last thing they want to do is talk about games mm -hmm. yes and, Yes, and and come up with something uh, better and more substantial than so. How's your show? Yep. Like, oh my god, that stock answer. It's like, oh really? Like that's as much as you got for me? Yeah, and, and I'm guilty of it too. Like yeah, it's I, I got It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, because you're all there for the same reasons. You're all there for E3. It's 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 difficult. And sorry, going back to the Pokemon thing, which is a weird way to reference that. Uh, similar to don't just try to collect all the different outlets on your resume. Don't just go to a, uh, an E3, get 8,000 business cards and just try to, like you said, see who's at every place and get as many contacts as possible. It's extremely important to network in this industry, but don't give a stock answer, go into a conversation, not really pay attention and hand a business card. Like you need to be genuine with people at these events. They don't, they yeah. don't just want to exchange contact information and move on. This is not like LinkedIn. It's, right. it's more than that. Yeah, definitely. And, and, uh, and getting more advice on a broader scale, like not if you're just at E3 and at the fig. Uh, I mean, you, there are so many ways to expand. Like a lot of people can play a game and then write words about it. So, I mean, come up with fresh ideas for features. And the, with today's technology, like I, like I said, like I've never, I have no video background. I was talking to the director of video for the Post Gazette. She's like, you have an iPhone, don't you? I said, yeah, I have an iPhone. She said, well, here's a tripod and a mic. Now you can shoot video. Like, 100% of my video content at E3 was with an iPhone. Yeah. So you don't need all this expensive equipment. Uh, the Xbox One and PS4 have the video capture capability and then have the editing software. So like, you don't even need... Straight to Twitch. Like, and, yeah. And of course... Don't get discouraged if you're doing that and you have one or two viewers all the time. You you build it over time. You find a voice. You it's it's not going to be instant. It's a gradual thing. Sometimes it could be instant. Sometimes it can blow up. But that's yeah. usually the exception to the rule. So it's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the key is just is learning. Like learning what works, learning what doesn't, learning how to use the different tools that are at your disposal. Just do that. There's really no excuse in this day and age to to not know how to do these things. They're there. They're in your phone. They're in your console. Yeah. So yeah. No, and I, I, well, the one the one last thing I'll add is that it, this is a very sort of specific um, hurdle that I believe I'm I'm actually finally getting over. If there comes a point when you become popular enough as a freelancer that the people and editors that you admire starts following you on Twitter. Yep. So it's, I think I dealt with like a six month writing hump where my productivity like plummeted by fifty percent because. 
now all these people are watching you. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe it was the pressure situation, the welcome pressure situation of this particular E3 work for GameSpot, but that you might encounter that when it's sort of like a be careful what you wish for kind of deal. Yeah. And I just want to say it's like I think just by sort of like trying to force yourself to, I mean, remind yourself that you really should try to develop your own voice. You can get over those humps. Yeah, and know yeah. that if there are, if you are becoming a well-known freelancer and people are starting to follow you, it's for a reason. It's because your quality of work is high enough. And that's, you know, it's like you said, it could be hard to, it's a new level of pressure. But also know that you, your writing was good enough to get there and your video work was good enough to get there. So absolutely be confident in it, in it moving forward. And especially if you are confident in your writing, it shows in your writing, the way that you write. I think, so. uh, I, think I was like on an unofficial probation with, with Kevin Van Ord, like uh, around <laughs> spring, summer last year, because I had fallen to my bad habits of writing too dryly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what I would do is I would still write dryly as sort of like as my first draft, and I would just try to find the areas where I could add quote unquote color. That's a huge way. My- That's a I, I do that very often, and I, I get that. I was I remember there's like one or two reviews where before I sent them over, I had to reread it and be like, no, this is not. Like I'm reviewing this as too much of a product review in like the old classic review way, which in GameSpot is not exactly how it works. So yeah, a good way to do it is to write the review, get your thoughts out, and then see spots that's like, this is this is dull, let me spice it up. Let me add something to it that really pops. So uh, that's what I've been currently trying to do with my Devil May Cry 4 special edition review. Coming to you Tuesday on GameSpot. That's nice. my plug. Um, all right, guys. Uh, so it's currently like, 90 degrees in my apartment because of the air being off so i would talk all day but then i might melt so um i super appreciate you both coming on and talking about e3 uh i really do think freelancing at conferences is hard but uh a lot of the stuff you guys had said um i think it's super applicable and i really want to go back to e3 so hopefully i'm there with both of you next year so yeah max miguel thank you for the time thank Um, you thanks for having me no problem at all This is the second time Miguel's been on the podcast, but uh, he's not going to be a regular every single time. It's just very applicable for the last two. So next podcast, (laughs) next podcast is most likely going to be a whole new cast. So um, expect some fireworks. Um, All right. Once again, podcast email is the 1099 podcast at gmail.com. Send your questions and dumb questions all over there. And I will catch all you guys soon. Next episode of the 1099.